another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop from the King Harold Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald, my co-host, Tony Sipteris. Tony, how's it going? Will and Jerry, happy new year. It's going pretty good. Uh, it's been a while since we've talked, so there's plenty of King's things to discuss today. Absolutely. We got good and bad today, so we'll get right into it. He's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM, and color analyst. GM of a WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer. It's the true pride of French like himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. How's it going? Well, I'm kind of like the Kings. Uh, there have been some really low times here <laughs> lately. <laughs> and so we're, we'll just go with uh, hopefully more good times. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm happy to be on the Herald. Let's put it that yeah. way. There we go. Yeah, I'm glad we have an outlet to talk about this with. So, happy 2020, uh, happy 2024 to you both. Uh, we're going to be uh, discussing the never boring, consistently inconsistent Sacramento Kings. Obviously, uh, we got a lot to talk about today. The Kings are fifth in the West as we speak. They've gone seven and five since our last uh, since our last pod. We have seen records broken. We've seen a couple uh, worst loss of the year candidates, and generally, we've just been put through the Kings ringer of emotions over the holiday season. So we're going to start off um, above the clouds here on high as usual. Uh, guys, the Kings over this last stretch, they beat the Nets, the Thunder, the Jazz, the Wizards, the Suns, the Hawks, and Grizzlies. They also got blown out by the Clippers and Celtics. They lost to the Timberwolves. They lost to a shorthanded Blazer squad. And then last night against the Hornets team on an 11-game losing streak. Um, in as many words as you want to, uh, sum up the last few weeks of Kings basketball for me. Well... I don't think you can. Uh, I mean, in my mind, it uh, it it's just been uh, you know a case. The record is the record, and 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 I think that that you can feel very good about the record. You can't feel near as good about how you acquired it. I guess that's how I'd sum it up. Yeah, I I agree with Jerry there. It's like it's weird because the record is fine, fifth in the West. That's fine. ESPN dropped a new power rankings today, and they had them eighth in the entire league, which is. Pretty good. You tell me the Kings are the eighth best team in the league at any point in the season. I'm like, all right, yeah, things are going pretty well. But I think Mike Brown, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, but Mike Brown making a change in his starting lineup, despite these good accolades after holding strong with that starting lineup for so long, almost two, you know, two seasons of playoffs now, that tells you everything I think you need to know about the inconsistency that the team has showed. And and they know it inside the walls. We can see it outside the walls. So Despite the fact that the season is going well, there's definitely some issues that this team needs to figure out. Yeah, what could you guys point to as the biggest issue with the team right now? What's the one thing you could point to and say, here's where the Kings need to fix and they need to fix it quick? Well, for me, it's defense. I mean, the defense just isn't very good. And uh, so that's number one. There's a few other things, obviously, but to me, it's it. Uh, this is going to be hard for this team to uh, – be a better team unless they get better on defense, because I, I do think offensively uh, it's a little harder for them this year because I think teams have taken some things away from what they like to do. Just better scouting. Yeah. To me, their defense has been an issue. We, we thought it might be heading into the year. I thought the offense would be better. So that to me is the more surprising disappointment, I guess. And then just more, more generally last season, the Kings had, great contributions from their role players outside of Fox and Sabonis. And this year, more often than not, on more nights than, I, than I'd like, you've got Fox and Sabonis. Fox playing, you know, MVP level great. Sabonis playing, I thought he's been awesome the last few weeks. And the players around those two, I, I will exclude Malik Monk because he's been very good all year too. But they, to me, just have not gotten enough consistent contributions from their role players like they had last year. And that is why you see Mike Brown making changes. It's just because the guys around their their main pieces have not brought it nearly enough to me. Yeah, I guess I'll ask uh, in general, how have you guys felt about Mike Brown's rotations of late? Um, just to lay it out for the audience, he's starting Chris Duarte. He's giving minutes to Davion Mitchell suddenly. Uh, they're bringing Kevin Herter off the bench. Keon Ellis, Sasha Vizankov, they're getting DNPs all of a sudden. Um, 
how do you guys feel about those moves that the coaching staff have of like mixing it up right now, even though their record is fifth in the West? Well, I, I think it's a case he's, he's searching, you know, I mean, it's just to, to Tony's point. I mean, there has been no consistency with anybody, but three guys for the most part, as, as much as uh, I think Keegan has improved dramatically from his rookie year. I think people, a lot of fans seem to forget that, but uh Still, he you, you need more consistent performance from him, I think, than they've gotten. And, of course, with Herter and Barnes, I mean, you know, they just haven't done it. And uh, and so, yeah, I think he's just searching. You know, I mean, that's that's all I can say. And it, and that's not a good sign, uh, <laughs> you know, when you when you've got a, a veteran team back and and you you are searching to fill spots. Yeah, to me, I'm glad Mike Brown kind of broke the seal on changing the the starting lineup because I just questioned if you would ever do that until a trade came in and move one of those guys out. So I'm glad he's kind of... Now it feels like everything is on the table, which is a position that I appreciate because for a while there, I mean, we've talked about it in our King's Herald chats, like, oh, he's never going to bench Harrison Barnes or Kevin Herter. Why are we even talking about this? But he actually did it. Now, do I love what he's done in those spots? I would probably prefer someone like Keon Ellis over Chris, Chris Dartre, even though I think Duarte has been pretty decent in that starting role. He was, he was one of the better players against the Hornets the other night. Um, so I'm glad Mike Brown is tinkering. Is it all the tinkering that I might like? Maybe not, but he's the coach and I'm glad he's trying new things. So I, I'm fine with it. Also, I love, you know, Alex Len over JL McGee to me has been the one big home run. If you can call it that switch. I think Len has been great in that backup center role. Um, but there's, you know, he's got some other options here and I hope he continues to explore them because I'm not sure Duarte is the guy for that starting lineup, but I guess we'll see. He he was good against, against the Hornets. So Gary, how do you feel about Duarte starting over Kevin Herter and Kevin Herter coming off the bench subsequently? Well, the way Kevin's been playing lately, I, I'm okay with it. I'm not a big fan of Duarte. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm kind of, I, I kind of like Alice there better too, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, but, uh, but, but it's a, you know, it's a, uh, you know, it doesn't make a lot of difference. Neither yeah. one or what you're right. looking for, yeah. you know, I mean, they're just uh, gap fillers. And I mean, that's, that's kind of the problem. Uh, quite honestly, it's it, in my mind, both, both Herder and Barnes, I, I probably switched a little bit in how I feel. I, I kind of think for some way you could combine those guys and get one player that really fills the gap. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you, this team would be better off, you know, but, uh, and I don't like saying that, but I think it's true. You know, Monty McNair mentioned earlier this season uh, about um, success, not always being linear and that, you know, he, and I don't want to say he was priming us necessarily for a down season or anything else like that, but he did mention that like, you know, it's not always like, you know, fifth, you know, 48 wins to 55 wins to 62 wins that sometimes it goes up and down. Do you feel like the front office, sees this as as the year before the year or that this is kind of a gap year between the king's success and then getting a star in the future or do you feel like they'll prioritize a trade now this season going out and getting a guy immediately in order to capitalize on the success that they've had in the last season in a quarter well I, I think they have to look at opportunities to make the team better I mean I I don't think what we see is being lost on Monty McNair or Coach Brown, uh, it's just a matter of what can you do to make it better. I mean, you can always make changes, but they're always saying, well, it can't be worse. Well, yes, it can. <laughs> you can make uh, – you don't want to panic. I always go back to the year that uh, the Clippers traded Shea Gugas Alexander for Paul George, you know, to get that difference maker. Well, how you know <laughs> – you'd like to have that one back. And that's kind of what I think when fans are always talking about some of them saying, well, it might be time to trade Keegan while his values high. Yeah. That'd be a real brilliant move. Uh, you know, the same thing was said about Pager his second year, you know, and Pager wasn't nearly as good his second year as, as Keegan's been. Uh, but then I'm old enough to remember that. Uh, so, you know, but anyway, so that, you know, it's, it's just a case where, yeah, I think they've got a legitimate hole at two and a legitimate hole at four that, that's yeah. uh, that they're just not good enough at those spots right now. Jerry, I've got news for you. We had a guy tweeting today saying that um, it's time to move on from Fox. 
while he still has value. <laughs> so he, I know Keegan is one of those ones that's a little more popular, but we got people willing to trade De'Aaron Fox this season because the experiment needs to end post-haste for this guy. If you can get Jokic, I'd probably say that. That's okay. <laughs> Tony, how do you feel about the idea of, of the Kings trading immediately versus holding off another season, waiting till the off season or waiting till next season to make, to make another move? It's all, I mean, it's ultimately going to come down to how the Kings perform. You know, Monty McNair has made these bets before we, where he hasn't done anything and it has seemingly been the right answer. Like last trade deadline, we talked a lot about movement and then there really weren't any trades where I looked at and said, oh, Monty McNair missed out here. So it's like, how do you really criticize a guy for not making a trade that no one else really made? So I don't want to give him the out of saying that there might be the chance that nothing is there for him, but that's an unfortunate reality. I guess we have to confront if we get to the trade deadline and they do nothing. But I do think this year, since they didn't do anything really at the deadline last year, I whatever grace McNair was given, and I'm not saying from ownership, I'm sure he has you know all the job security in the world, but from the fans anyways, I think you'd see a lot more disgruntled fans if they do go into the playoffs having done nothing at the deadline. And I would kind of take it a step further if you look at the players of seemingly available because we don't know there's a lot of pretty good players at every tier either very good players that'll cost you a lot to middling players that could still help you that wouldn't cost you that much that should be available at the deadline this year so i i do think mcnair is going to have a lot of options i'm sure we'll talk about some of them on the show today where the excuse of not doing anything after you've seen it all for a year, you've seen them in the playoffs for a year, you've seen them now for, you know, half a season. The, the idea that you can't do anything to me is getting a little bit less. I don't know. I give him a little bit less slack to not do anything this season. Before the Kings end up making a move. Is there any other answers on this King Ro- Kings roster that you'd like to see? Are there any moves that you'd like to see Mike Brown try? Obviously they moved Kevin Herter to the bench recently. Are you trying to see Harrison Barnes move to the bench and have somebody else start in his place? Are you trying to, is there any other thing that you look at on the current roster of the Kings and go, if they tried this, this might be the solution before going out and trading for a big name player? Well, I I would definitely start Trey Lyles over Barnes. I I would move him into the starting lineup. I just believe game in, game out, you're probably going to be a little better off. And I think it might be, a, you know, that it might even help Harrison play in that with the second unit to where he could be a little more aggressive and, and all that. But, yeah, I, I I would do that. I don't know what, you know, I, I can't fault him anything at the two guard because he's got a, you know, Monk would be the obvious way to improve it, but then you'd really uh, be crucifying your bench. So, so I, I'd probably leave that alone. Is there is there any case for you guys? Um, with Davion actually getting more minutes on this team, or do you feel like right now the the Kings are showcasing Davion for an eventual trade nearer the deadline? You know, my, my feeling, I, I just don't believe there's, they'll showcase anybody. They're just trying to win ball games, And I think uh, Coach Brown is mixing and matching. And I think, you know, sometimes he feels like Davion's a little better fit and, and he has been pretty good. Uh, just like Ellis, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, to me, Duarte, Ellis, Davion, if you could take the best parts of each one, you'd have what you need. I'm curious, what do you guys think the Kings, where do you guys think the Kings go in terms of trades as we head towards the deadline? Are we talking larger trade targets, you know, big move guys like Zach Levine, Jeremy Grant, Laurie Markinen, maybe even uh, Kyle Kuzma or DeJounte Murray? Or do you feel like they go closer to, hey, we're we're close to being where we want to be. We don't want to commit to a lot of salary right now. So they swing more towards an Alex Caruso, PJ Washington, and Matisse Thibel. Uh, Nick Claxon is somebody that uh, Tim mentioned, who is now suddenly coming off the bench in Brooklyn. Um, do you guys feel like they go more for a big, big splashy move or that they couple it together with a, a couple of smaller role players? You know, I, I guess I'd probably look at this maybe a little different is I think they've got a whole bunch of role players. You know, I mean, I, I'm just not sure I'd be interested in, in just the next version. You know, uh, uh, you know, to me, like a, a, a PJ Washington or whatever from Charlotte, somebody was talking about. Uh, uh, you know, it's like, well, well, is he better than Trey Lyles? I, I don't know. I mean, if if he is, it's very min- minimal. Uh, so I, I just don't see why you would do anything unless you're going to get a 
you know, I'm reading the Herald, people talk about needle movers, and I agree. I mean, if you're not going to get somebody that's going to move the needle a little bit, uh, you know, there's just not much point in my mind of, of uh, you know, and, and like say the, you know, they, they need a guy who could step in and be a fourth or fifth best player minimum. I guess my question that I'd ask uh, you guys, Jerry and Will, what you just we just saw the OG and Anubi trade come in this week, and it took you know quickly, and it took RJ Barrett. You look at that return, and it to me it was like, all right, well the Kings really couldn't match that unless they're going to give up Keegan Murray. So if you're trying to get that level of player, like an OG level player, are you even willing to put Keegan Murray in a trade? And if the answer is no, then I don't know who the best player you're looking at adding is so I, I don't know is it is would you give up keegan for laurie or pascal siakam or dejounte murray as far as guys that are rumored about or are you just not trading keegan this season because i think if, if your answer is you're not trading keegan then the level of player you can add this year definitely has a, a lower ceiling yeah the, the you know the keegan thing and I, I come back i was on a podcast with grant earlier and and you know he kind of going into the Keegan isn't what he should be, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just saying, check the stats. Uh, he's significantly better than Pagia in, in his first two years. He, he's better just right across the board and, and not even counting defense. And he's significantly better than OG Ananobi was for his first three years. Now, that's a fact. And so, and, and so at some point, it's like, why would you do that? And to me, that's another Shane Gilgus Alexander for Paul George kind of thing. Uh, don't there, you know, you can give up on him later if you want to, but you better, you better not give up on him till you're, you're sure. Cause I, I, I don't see any reason to believe that he can't be the third best player on a, on a winner, on a consistent winner. Now, you know, Hey, he got 47 friggin' points the other night. Now, he, he can't do that every night, but, you know, Pager was in his fourth year before he had a 40-point kind of game. So, you know, I mean, at some point, just, my God, dude, you, I'm too old. I remember these things, and it depresses me, <laughs> you know, that, uh, that you, you know, go back. And, of course, I was, you know, sadly, I remember when Gary Payton was in his second year and they were trying to trade him, and, uh, you know, because he was a disappointing second-year player. Well, they didn't. They couldn't get the deal, and it worked out for them. Tony, how many of those guys do you think you you would have to trade Keegan Murray for to get? Do you think Zach Levine on his current contract with the way the Bulls want him, do you think he'll cost a, a Keegan? I, I, I figured out of those, Laurie Markkinen, because Laurie's an incredibly talented player, and Danny Ainge isn't a chump, and then Pascal Siakam, even, even though he's kind of promised not to really – mess with the team that trades for him because he really wants to go into free agency. And that's more because I think Masai is kind of up his own ass a little bit. I think Masai is one of those guys now that's believed his own hype. And unfortunately the Knicks kind of gave him a really good haul for OG. So he can kind of bolster his own opinion of himself. But I, I don't think uh, Jeremy Grant, for example, I don't think a Jeremy Grant, he, he'll cost a lot. I don't think he'll cost Keegan Murray. I don't think Kyle Kuzma. Uh, I don't think Zach Levine. I think there are upgrades that are bigger moves that might not cost a Keegan Murray. And I think that's where the Kings kind of have to land in their sweet spot. Am I correct in that? Well, the only player that I'd even take a phone call would be Laurie Market. Yeah. I mean, really for, for him. And I mean, I don't know that I do that because Laurie is kind of like the same thing. You know, he had, he got bounced. Teams gave up on him too soon. Yeah. Yeah. And now he's a legitimate all-star and a young all-star that's the best is ahead at a 6'11 floor stretcher. Yeah, he'd be great for the Kings. Uh, now, if you could get him, there's a lot of combinations I'd want to throw at him to get him that wouldn't include Keegan. And I, and I, I just don't know him, Danny. I, I don't believe there's – I just can't believe he'd trade him. I really don't because I think he sees him as a the centerpiece, you know. Uh, you build around guys like that. You don't trade them. The Lori rumors to me are strange because why wouldn't Utah keep him? And Will, I think you're right that really, you know, Lori Siakam, Dejounte Murray, Mikael Bridges, if Bridges is available, are the guys where you probably got to put Keegan on the table. But there are plenty of players you mentioned. You know, Wiggins, Keldon Johnson, Kuzma, Jeremy Grant, Zach Levine, very good players. You can probably 
you could probably get without Keegan. However, I just think the Kings have such a, and maybe I'm being just pessimistic tonight, but a, a, just a, such a non-compelling packages outside of Keegan Murray that makes those trades very easy for other teams to beat. Because you don't, you don't have a single young player outside of Keegan Murray that really, to me, has appeal to any of these teams that are kind of trading away the more veteran pieces. So if you can get Zach Levine for basically free, which is kind of what it is, like salary matching, maybe you give Herter, fine. You know, thirty other teams can make that trade. The Kings aren't really bringing anything to that table in, in those trades that I would that would force the Bulls to look at the Kings more than anyone else. So that's where I think Monty has a tough spot because yes, there are very good players that you could in theory get without putting Keegan on the table. I just think the Kings' offers are so easy to beat for other teams if there's more interest involved. Yeah, I do. I do. I, I think there's a couple guys that I think teams really want to trade, and that would be Zach Levine and Dejounte Murray. I think both those teams want to move those guys on just period and and not that they can't play but they i think those teams say hey we we can lose games without them just as well as with them <laughs> yeah, and, right. and and a lot cheaper and so i i think there's you know there's teams that both of them both those guys could fit on and, and probably be good pickups for wouldn't take a huge deal i, I don't uh I'd probably be more inclined to Jante Murray just because he's such a good defender. Uh, but uh, anyway, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a tough, tough call. I, I just like say, I think the Keegan thing is uh, just too early. You just can't do that. Uh, yeah. I mean, short of another young proven star type guy, you know, a potential star, uh, you know, so. Jerry, I'm curious. Um, you you mentioned in the past that GMs um, they see these guys for who they are, and they kind of discount slumps a little bit because they know what a player is in the league. They know that Harrison Barnes is a certain type of player. They knew that they know that some of these vets, though they might be struggling at some point in the season, are pretty much you know due to if they move to a different team could improve or whatever else like that. That their trade value isn't exactly what fans value in a trade. I'm curious, do you think Harrison Barnes, do you think guys like Davion Mitchell, do you think their trade value has significantly decreased since this offseason? Or do you feel like uh, GMs kind of figure, oh, they just need a change and we can move on from them and, and they'd be better on another team? I, th I think maybe uh, in Harrison's case, it's decreased a little. I do. Uh, I mean, you know, his contract is what it is. Uh, you know, teams, you know, that liked him might be a little concerned about that going forward. Uh, you know, I think his, his value still is, he's a great locker room guy. Everybody knows that he's, uh, he's, you know, he's played on winners. Uh, I mean, I think there's a value there, but I guess the negative is, yeah, but who, you know, you trade him, can you get somebody better? <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the, the kicker. I think with Davion, I think, there again, I think probably some good teams would say we could use a, a little defender like that. But there again, it's a small market, you yeah. know. It, yeah, you know, for for Davion, we'll give you a, a second round pick and 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 a and a, and a you know role player that we're not sure is good enough. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, I'm kind of in your boat a little bit in the sense that like uh, I have a hard time right now gauging the interest of other teams and what the Kings have part, part of that is I, I have this only because I follow the Oklahoma city thunder as my second favorite team. They ruin every single trade that I ever like it's put true. into a trade machine yeah. because I'm like, yeah. Ooh, that's a pretty good trade for us and for them. And like the Megazord that is like, okay, see comes stomping in and goes, here's 10 first round picks. And it's like, Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Well, they get, there is so many, uh, options that uh, a team like Oklahoma city has that they could trump any single offer double or triple, whatever the Kings can mm -hmm. offer. And I've just this season given up on trying to trade for anybody in, in my head because I'm like, if anybody else wants them, I think the Kings are kind of like screwed in that matter. So I'm, I'm right there with you on that one, Tony. Yeah. Okay. So I want to go over, we're not going to be completely negative here. Uh, I want to go through some small individual accomplishments Jerry, I'm going to let you loose and talking about Keegan Murray here so we can brag about Keegan for 45 more minutes if you want to. Um, so first off, in the Kings win over the Jazz on the 16th of December, uh, Keegan went absolutely ballistic, a career-high 47 points, as Jerry mentioned, including a Kings record 12 three-pointers. This was, this was maybe the only time during the holiday season that I was legitimately mad 
that I didn't have a podcast. I didn't get to go back to you guys immediately and be like, we're talking mm-hmm. tonight. Let's go. Yeah. So, so, so guys, t- talk to me a bit about Keegan's sudden explosion in Sacramento and maybe forecast a little bit, like what this means for Keegan, who's kind of had an up and down season so far. Well, I do think it showed, you know, what we all wanted and not that you expect 47 points, but you saw the potential. I mean, you can't get 47 by accident and, 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 uh, and he did it, you know, it's in the book, so to speak. I always say there's some things uh, that I like to, I think are important. It's, it's to me, it's like his consistent improvement. I know fans have a tendency to maybe look at it different than I do, but I know what he averaged his first 30 games of last year, how he finished the season and his overall stat line last year. Well, this year, he started slow, but right now he's better pretty much in everything except just two-point shooting percentage. His three-point percentage is going up. It's not quite where it was, but his rebounding, much better, much better defender. In other words, what do you want from a second-year player? <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I listened to some guy who's telling, well, you know, he ought to be averaging 15 points a game. I said, well, he is. <laughs> You know, he is. Yeah. Uh, so, so I, you know, I, I just think it's a, you know, it, it's a matter of uh, patience and, and uh, don't let uh, expectations get the best of you. You know, I mean, I, I guess I've just seen too many tremendous young players uh, take a little time to get there. And almost invariably, they it takes time. There's not many magics or jabars or jordans or lebrons i mean they just don't come in the league ask Wimbanyana. he's got he he hadn't even taken it by storm so uh you know just uh, uh all i know is i i just think the guy i don't know if he's going to be as good as Pedro, but so far he's been better a fact tony what about you how do you follow that up? But I will say, <laughs> in the last episode of the of this show, I complained that Keegan Murray wasn't having, I uh, didn't have the leap I wanted, and I cited that he was averaging thirteen points and shooting thirty percent from three, and it was a good lesson in small sample size and how big a forty-seven point performance can make your season numbers look good. Because now he is up to fifteen points per game, like Jerry said, and his three-point percentage is all the way up to thirty-six percent. So. You know, one a 12 for 15 from three, 47 point night will do wonders for how your season numbers look. And suddenly he does kind of look like he has made a more of an offensive leap than he looked the last time we recorded just based off one offensive explosion. But also, you know, nothing about what Keegan did looked out of the ordinary, which sounds weird to say in a 47 point performance, but he took the same shots he takes every night. This night they just went in and I expect his threes to go in more often than not. So you know, like Jerry said, he's not going to score 47 every night, but this is a extremely capable and deadly shooter that to me, even still is not shooting up to his potential. You know, his last four games, he scored five points, nine points, 10 points, 10 points, which is not, which is not enough for me. You know, I'd, I'd love to have seen him take that 47 point night and continue hot shooting. And he was very good for a while after that 47 point night, he had some really strong games, but recently it's kind of come back down to earth. And I, I still, to this day, don't know why, because he is such a gifted shooter. I still believe in him. I think he'll get there. And um, that 47 point night was just a, a sign of what he could do. But I think we all kind of knew he's capable of, of that sort of hot shooting. Gary, as a coach, how do you talk to a player like Keegan who's been going through a season as up and down as his has been? Well, I, I think, you know, it's really a matter of, I think Keegan's one of those guys that I'd always say, I always remember Coach Krzyzewski uh, telling me about Bobby Hurley. He said, you know, now here's the thing about Bobby. He's very quiet. Uh, you know, he's, he's a competitor more than you think. He said, but you got to you gotta pat him on the butt on Monday, pat him on the butt on Tuesday, and for God's sakes, <laughs> don't forget Wednesday. And, and uh, he's, you know, and I think that's who Keegan is. I mean, it's all it needs to all be positive. Some guys need the pat on the back all the time. And I think he's one of those. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. Some of the best ever <laughs> have been like that, that uh, they, they don't handle, uh, your, you know, this or that, your criticism well. And I, I, I kind of see him as a sensitive soul that needs to be told, uh, 
Yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Just uh, it'll all work out. Keep working hard. Be be who you are. Okay. I also want to point out that um, uh, the recent uh, hot shooting from Fox, uh, De'Aaron set himself a career high in threes uh, with seven against the Blazers in a loss. Uh, it obviously perturbed him because he went out the very next game and broke that record uh, in a win against the Hawks. Uh, he hit eight three-pointers that night. Um, uh, talk to me about Fox's deep ball this year. And maybe, Jerry, because of your institutional knowledge, because of your institutional mm -hmm. memory, <laughs> has there ever been a player that you've come across that's Come around this quickly as a three-point threat who's gone from just like pedestrian to 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 incredibly dangerous as a three-point shooter geez i, I can't uh, by the way yeah i should probably institutionalize that's for sure <laughs> but uh but uh honestly i can't think of anybody offhand i mean because De'Aaron, i mean especially when you consider the fact that De'Aaron was not a good three-point shooter he was a, a very poor three-point shooter. Now he's becoming a very good three-point shooter. Uh, the, uh, I'd have to almost go back 100 years to, to Magic Johnson. Uh, you know, Magic came in the league, he couldn't really shoot. Uh, but within five or six years, he was a very good shooter and a good deep shooter. And so, uh, and, and there's a lot of cases where guys were, were not good shooters who became good shooters. I don't think many who are became great shooters. I'll say that. I think that's still, uh, generally speaking, the great shooters, you kind of know, you know, pretty, pretty early, <laughs> yeah. you know, type, type things. So, uh, you know, the, the Lillards and, and, you know, guys like that, that, you know, you knew right away, this guy, this guy and Steph Curry, I mean, you know, you know, you, you didn't know how good they're going to be, but you knew they're going to, they're going to be big time shooters day one. Tony, how about you? How do you feel about uh, Fox's deep ball this year? I'm encouraged by it. I know I've seen a, a, some some people uh, complain to some extent that it's it's he's taking too many threes. You know, it's taking away from his attack, attacking the basket game. And while I can sometimes see that argument, it kind of reminds me of when DeMarcus Cousins kind of added the three-point shot to his game, where you, you can only go to the paint all the time for so long before you start getting beat up and injured. So I am taking the fact that Fox is maybe getting a little less punishment, going to the paint and taking some threes as a good thing for his career. Like he's got to figure this out. If that guy is going to attack the paint as he does. Uh, same with Boogie, you know, he got to the point where he's getting crushed in the paint all game, every game and him adding a three point shot as another way to score points to me was not a bad thing. It was a good thing. And maybe, I mean, Boogie got hurt, so it's, it's unfortunate, but anything to increase Fox's longevity, uh, you know, the guys who add the three point shot are the ones who are better for longer. So I'm, I'm happy with it. Um, on the other hand, kind of a side point, I'm almost, I'm also a little bit frustrated because Fox now has to be the best three-point shooter on the team too. Like, can, can anyone else help him? The guy scores 25 points last year, best clutch player in the league, and now he's got to be the best three-point shooter on the team too. Let someone else do something. Or better yet, have someone else shoot the ball so Fox doesn't need to be at the top of every single, you know, leaderboard on this Kings team. It's kind of how I feel. Is there any chance that this is just a hot start for Fox and that he comes back down to earth another 5 or 6%? Or do you guys see this as something that, he can maintain throughout an entire NBA season or for multiple seasons uh, to that effect. Well, his ball looks good. You know, I mean, I, I think he's shooting with confidence. I, I think it's uh, reasonable to think that he can stay where he is uh, thereabouts, uh, you know, three point shooting being what it is, uh, you know, really good three point shooters aren't exactly the same every year. Sometimes they're 40, sometimes they're 37, sometimes they're 40 again, that sort of thing. And I, but I, I think he is, he's crossed that barrier. I don't know why he's not a better free throw shooter again. He started missing free throw. That concerns me a little, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, the guy is, uh, he's made the strides, you know, just like we've talked about Keegan before, but the first couple of years, all we heard was, was he's not making enough progress or is he good enough or blah, blah, blah. Trade him now was value, <laughs> you know, well, uh, he's, one of the elite players in this league right now with uh, the best years ahead, I think. All right. So I want to, I want to wrap up our players here with, uh, with some discussion on uh, Demonis Sabonis. He feels like somebody who is, who is routinely underrated. And I feel like just because we're Kings fans and we're constantly screaming at different like national writers 
I have to keep in mind that maybe he is actually a little underrated, even though I hear Demonis Sabonis is underrated so often that he feels almost overrated at times. Just in the stretch since last time we talked, he had four triple doubles. He was two rebounds away in two different games from, from two extra triple doubles on top of that. He's averaged just in the stretch since last we talked, 21 points, 13 rebounds, eight assists. Guys, talk to me about how good Sabonis has been uh, this last 10 or 15 games or, or the whole season in general, if you guys want to go that far out. Well, I'll say this for Domas. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a player get more out of his ability than Sabonis. Hmm. I mean, he shouldn't be that good. No. Uh, but his work ethic, his toughness, legitimate toughness, unselfishness, uh, very creative passer. Now, last night he was awful. <laughs> he, yes. he couldn't 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 catch a damn ball but uh so i took his name in vain last night but but i mean uh, you look at the big picture is he underrated i think a little bit uh a little bit underrated but but in the way i look at it is he's one of the 30 35 best players in the world and and is he ever is he going to be more than that no i don't think so i think we talked about it earlier podcast i said Domas is going to average 19 points, 12 rebounds, uh, seven assists, six or seven assists, and shoots about 60% the floor. He's been doing it for years. So that's it's not going to be that every game. Some nights it's going to be 27 points. Some nights it's going to be 12. But that's that's who he is because that's how he plays. And what you want is more guys like that. Tony, how do you feel about Demonis Sabonis so far this season? He's been awesome as he was last year, and the last few weeks highlights that. Uh, just some random other Sabonis stats I pulled. You know, let's not forget. Uh, I know this is a famous Utah stat, but he's second in screen assists per game. He's an excellent screener. He also runs more per game than any other center in the league. To Jerry's point, he's such a hustler, uh, and the Kings need players like that who set the tone. He runs 2.6 miles per game, if you believe NBA's tracking, which is more than any center by a decent amount. Uh, the only center in the league with a better rebound percentage is Rudy Gobert. So he is right at the top of these very important center categories with the best centers in the world. Um, there's only three players in the top of the kind of center leaderboards and assists assist, uh, assist percentage. It's Jokic, Sabonis, and Embiid. I don't think Sabonis is often in the conversation among the elite elite senders, and maybe he shouldn't be. You know, maybe people are right, and he deserves to be somewhere in, you know, the top 10 centers instead of the top five centers. I'm okay with that, but I do think there are certain categories that Sabonis charts very competitively with, with the best centers in the world that a lot of other centers that people would rank over him are not even sniffing the conversation in things like assist percentage or rebound percentage or screen assists or how often he's running. So in that in that respect, I do think sometimes I even underrate Sabonis because it's it's easy to get swayed by points per game. He's never going to be at the top of those leaderboards for centers, but there are so many other things that he does better than so many other players that are viewed as better than him that you can make a pretty compelling argument that he he might be underrated. You know, one, one other point on him, and and I he's not a good rim protector, not really good low post yep. protector at all. I'll, I'll give that as opposed to some of the better centers, other better centers. But he's by far the best defender out on the perimeter over a Jokic mm -hmm. or an Embiid or those guys. I mean, or Anthony Davis, for that matter. He gets out there and tries to cover wings and stuff. Now, does he get beat? Sure. But he tries. And most of those guys I mentioned, they have no chance. And so, uh, so you, sometimes, you know, you, know, you got to kind of look at the whole picture, not just – parts of it but yeah so anyway yeah he's you know he's he's part of the solution not part of the problem the last thing i want to talk about before we move on to the patreon question obviously we've had a couple of good wins uh, during this stretch we've had a couple of bad losses i just kind of wanted to focus on um last night's loss to to the hornets tony jerry i, I was talking about this with some people on twitter only because to me it felt very clearly that this was it felt very simply that like the Kings got a little cocky. They came in playing a team with an 11 game losing streak. They felt like they could play with their food for a little bit. And just in the last couple of minutes, they gave the game away and lost is, is a loss to a team like the Hornets indicative of a, of a systemic problem. There is something at the core of the Kings that needs changing. Or is this one of those games that you just go, you, you chalk it up to your team, not being prepared 
or to the guys being a little loose with the ball on a random night in, in the middle of January and you just move on from it. Is this a, is this a bigger issue or is this, was this just a plain bad game from the Kings? I think there's a little bit of an issue. I won't say because they've been blown out too many times and beaten by bad teams. Uh, and I, I guess just an opinion, and of course, uh, whatever that's worth. But I do think this team occasionally gets to thinking, you know, like, oh, these guys aren't any good. Well, if you're mm -hmm. not, you know, this is a team, the Kings, if they're not bringing their A game, they're not very good. Uh and I mean, generally, they do bring their A game. They're totally unselfish, and they, you know, generally speaking, you you see a great effort. But when they get to thinking, oh, you know, we're playing Charlotte, we're playing Portland, uh, you know, early in the year, we playing the Rockets, you know. Well, you know, if if you you know you are not good enough to look at it that way, <laughs> you know. Can I tell like with Grant today? I said, you know, the thing that you always have to remember is that every NBA team has some NBA players, <laughs> and, you know, and they're capable of big nights, you know. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I thought the Pistons were going to beat the Celtics not too long ago, and they, and they should have, and they should have. They had them beat. And so, but that's, uh, you know, that that's what this team has to keep in mind, and the coaching staff, I'm sure, tries to remind them, but it's like, yeah, you guys – Get to thinking, well, we're third or we're this or that, and these guys are tenth. Well, yeah, but they can beat you just like you can beat the maybe the top teams, which they did. Yeah. Tony, how'd you feel about last night? I didn't like it, but in a vacuum, you could call it, you know, just a bad game. But the Portland loss was bad, and that was only a few days before. And even the Atlanta Hawks win was a horrible win. I don't know. It, they were mm -hmm. so bad in the first half of that game. So this team has not been playing well, and I feel like the Hornets, I mean, they have and they haven't, but you saw all the bad things that this team is capable of in that Hornets game. And unlike last year's Kings, there's no way to me last year's Kings only score, you know, 104 points against the Hornets. So I think what you have here is a team that is above average on offense, below average on defense, which is better than they were last year on defense, but they're above average on offense, below average on defense. But that means you could kind of collapse on either end in any given night to me. And to me, it was the offense kind of collapsed against the Hornets a bit. They did not score enough. And that is what this team is capable of because they, to me, are, are a bit identity-less outside of Fox and Sabonis being very good players where last year, to me, this team had a, a dangerous identity because they were all offense and no defense, but it was an identity. And uh, I think this team is just kind of figuring out who they are. And again, we talked about it earlier role players did not come through in any type of way, not a single one, not even Monk whatsoever against the Hornets. So they are susceptible. They are vulnerable to me to games like this, but to Jerry's point, every team is. So how much stock can you put into one night? I don't know, but the, the trend here to me is a little bit alarming when you consider the Portland loss and the Hawks terrible win and then the Hornets loss. So they've got some, they've got some work to do. Jerry, I'm curious, the, the team being 32 games into the season, can you expect them to have a, a brand new identity. Hey, we're focusing on defense this year with the current personnel we've got. Hey, suddenly we're 10th in defense, 32 games into the season. Or does it take more time to to get that to stew a little bit where you're like, okay, we are top 10 in offense and now we're middle of the road to top 10 to top 15 in defense. How long does it take for a team to reestablish an identity after last year being very offensive focused, very much a, hey, we're a team that's going to outscore you the whole season long? You know, that's a good point. I mean, I think clearly this team isn't as good offensively, and I think that's been the surprise. I mean, they're not good defensively, really, but they weren't good last year, and they're maybe a tiny bit better this year because of uh, Fox and Keegan, I think, a little bit. But, uh, you know, I, like most fans, thought, well, this team, they added Vesnikov. I thought, well, you know, they'll be better offensively. Well, uh, Herter hasn't been very good consistently. Uh, certainly Barnes has been a disappointment. Vesnikov has provided almost nothing that you expected. And then take another step. Hey, they missed Terrence Davis. Who who, yeah. who on the bench could come in and get 35 and, you know, which he did three or four times last year and, and made difference in the game. Now, you know, I, I didn't think he'd be a big loss, 
and I don't know that he is, but but he has been a loss. They they haven't made up for him. Let's put it that way. All right, Tony, we're going to roll over to you for the uh, Patreon question of the day, then. We'll wrap this thing up. Thanks, Will. On every episode of this podcast, we ask at least one question from our King's Herald patrons. You can submit questions at patreon.com slash kingsherald or the website or on Twitter. And any question that you ask will get answered either here on the main show or once a month you record a Patreon-exclusive Q&A where we answer all the leftover questions. So keep submitting them, and they will get answered eventually. This week's question comes from Dutch Kings fan, and we kind of danced around a lot of this uh, topic during the podcast, but I would like uh, Jerry and Will to maybe put some stakes on the line or, or be a little bit more specific about it. Uh, Dutch Kings fan asks, to what extent are you guys worried about some of the bad Kingsy losses we've seen recently? And I don't know, you know, we can define worried however you want, but Jerry, to what extent are you worried about, about how this team has played? I am concerned. I am. And I'll tell you, tell you why is because I, there's not many stats that I believe in other than one loss column. The one loss column is fine. It's a couple of games, you know, better than last year at the same stage. But I don't like how they've gotten there. Uh, and the uh, win margin is just a half a point, which, you know, this far into the season tells you something. I'll tell you what it tells you, that if they continue, that this is a 41-42 win team. That's what it tells you. Yeah. And so uh, clearly they've got to, you know, and they, they've got to find a way to be better consistently. And when they're bad, not be as bad. Everybody has bad games, but they, you know, a top team doesn't get blown out, you know, 10 times in 80 games. And uh, they get blown out two or three. I don't care who they are. Uh, but so, yeah, I'm concerned. Absolutely. Will, to what extent does this worry you? So, so one of my very best friends is a Timberwolves fan, and uh, and I, I'm very happy for them now. They they look great. Hey, good for them. But like the Jimmy Butler Timberwolves to me were one of those things that like I watched with great excitement and then watched in extreme. Horror. It was like watching the Hindenburg when you know when everything was going down with Jimmy. I was like, oh no, <laughs> they got one good year. Like oh, uh. and and there are these teams in every generation of basketball that are good for a season or two. And then fall right back down into into the mess, into the muck, and like more than anything, anytime I see a bad Kings loss, anytime a Charlotte Hornets thing, I'm immediately triggered into like, oh oh god, are we are we the Timberwolves with Jimmy Butler? Like, oh no, did we did we did we wind up as as uh, I don't I don't want to say the Utah Jazz because they had a couple of good runs there with Donovan Mitchell, but like, are we always fated to be a team that's just like 41 to 43 wins? fighting for we we got that third seed and it was great last season in an off year for the west are we just going to be battling for six through ten for the next five or six years because that's hell that is that is absolute hell for me i do not want to be going into the last game of the season going oh i hope we can beat the denver nuggets resting nikola Jokic, so that way we can <laughs> we can get into the play-in i i will i will run my head through a wood chipper i can't do it and every time every time the kings lose a bad one i was at that first portland game where it took malik monk getting bailed out on on some free throws to go to overtime to beat the the trailblazers without fox and that was the worst game of the season for me and everyone around me was excited that we beat a young team without some of their good players and I told my buddy, like, I'm not going to watch the next Kings Timberwolves game because it's going to scare me. And when the Kings, I ended up tuning into it and they lost. And I was like, that that's why I didn't want to watch it. It's horrible. Yes, I'm extremely worried about it. And I have to just like let myself go. OK, there are Memphis Grizzlies in every generation, too, where it's like eight years of like grit and grind and it's fun and maybe they get their shot. I don't want to be that team. I want to win a championship. And so, yeah, I'm worried. I'm worried. Tony, what about you? Are you worried? I don't know. Not yet. Ask me. Ask me after the trade deadline. I, I will. I actually think you answered that very well. But you made me like you're right. What the Timberwolves did for one year and out sucked. And hearing you say that, I was like, all right. I actually don't think that's going to be the Kings though. Like I think Fox and Sabonis are good enough for sustained success and with good general managing, you can find the right players around them. I don't think Monty's done that yet. But I have faith that he will because I think he's been a pretty good GM for this team. So I, I, I guess I'm not worried yet, but I would like to see some movement. I, I think there's enough here. And Keegan, too. Enough here for sustained, pretty good NBA success. 
And you're really, to me, you're really one piece away and that is attainable. So I'm, I'm not worried yet, but I, there is work to be done. I think there's a, uh, I think there's a very small difference between a, a Portland trailblazers team with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum getting to a Western conference finals at one point and like failing to reach a finals, mm-hmm. but like they got there and good for you. And an Atlanta Hawks team that got to an Eastern Conference Finals with Trey Young and then have afterward just been absolute like middling garbage. And like it's a very fine point between the two of them. It's one trade here or one signing here. And I think the Kings are like riding that line right now as to are you going to be a Trailblazers team that has continued success and maybe get your shot at a Western Conference Finals? Or are you going to be a Hawks team that the Kings only the Kings were a third seed and lost in the first round to the Warriors. We have not even attained what the Atlanta Hawks attained, but like, are we going to be that team that like farts it away very easily? And I think a move for a Zach Levine or a Jeremy Grant, or like only going for an Alex Caruso or a PJ Washington, that could be the difference between which one we end up being and stresses me the hell out. And it stresses me out Same. a little bit. Okay. On that note, Jerry, save us here, buddy. We're going over to you for the Reynolds wrap-up. Well, the only thing I've got to say is that, you know, just uh, really, really want to shout out to the Kings Herald, all you writers, uh, the commentators. I, I really, the, the holiday season, uh, you know, it, it's you got to enjoy it. Uh, meet your family. Uh, Kings losses should not affect <laughs> how you treat your kids or your wife or anything. Just... <laughs> Just try to keep in mind, uh, you you can you can really care for this team, but but the, they're professional basketball players. It's their job; they're paid for it. You don't get paid. Your your job is to enjoy them if you want to, or get mad if you want to. But uh, that's all I'd say. It's like, yeah, I I'm just I realize that uh, hey, you know, these guys, uh, any one of them is. Truthfully, I mean, over the years, I've known this. If they can get $5 million more to go somewhere else, how much they love you will change. <laughs> and so uh, uh, so you you just enjoy the team as best you can. Get mad at them if, if you want to, but just uh, keep it to the team. Keep it to the team. And I, I say that now because I can yeah. do that. But, uh, but then again, I couldn't for years because I was being paid. And so... I, <laughs> So I was a I was a paid asshole, and so I don't I'm not being paid, so I don't have to be one. Well, on behalf of everyone at the Kings Herald, uh, we hope you guys had a holiday uh, season that was memorable, that was uh, worth the time you got to take off and spend with your family and friends. Uh, we are back on our grind every two weeks. We'll be here with new episodes, maybe some little special surprises here and there in between uh, now and the end of the season. So. Uh, Again, thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you again in two weeks.